0: Welcome to the podcast of the Renew community. We strive to be a Jesus community who cares about the things Jesus cares about. This podcast was recorded at our last gathering. Teaching like this is how we worship together every other week. We look to the scriptures seeking to become more like Christ. We're glad you're listening. Hello, Renew. Uh, This is a new experience for me recording a teaching directly to a podcast, um, but I'm grateful for the opportunity our house churches have to gather uh, each week throughout the month of July to be together in person, uh, digging into scripture, worshiping Jesus together and encouraging and supporting one another. I have to confess, um, my heart has, has been really troubled. Uh, my soul has been troubled. I have felt troubled. Um, and I think for many of us, that is the reality that we live in these are these are times that are troubling with lots of troubling events happening throughout the world from pandemic uh, to racial injustice and division to polarizing and divisive political and cultural climate Uh, lots of other things happening throughout the world that that can feel very troubling and it can feel like evil may be having its way in this season like the ruler of this world is winning. Uh, And in John chapter 14, Jesus actually is preparing his disciples for troubling times. He is addressing their very real anxiety, fear, and despair. He has just told them in, in the chapter that Doug read last week in chapter 13, he has just told his disciples that he is going to be going away and that they won't be able to follow him. He tells them, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. And they are confused. They're not sure what he means. They're anxious. They've tied their hopes and dreams to this man they thought was the Messiah who was leading them to life and to a new kingdom. And now he's saying they can't go with him. They're afraid of what this might mean. And Jesus knows that they're about to witness something horrific. Something that could shake the core of the faith that Jesus has been fostering in them in the love and goodness of God. The faith that he has been encouraging in in them in his identity as the Messiah. They are about to witness what will most certainly seem like the victory of evil and death the ruler of this world, the one opposed to God and God's ways, the evil one will strike what looks like a decisive blow. And if the disciples are not prepared, they will be overcome with anxiety, with fear, with despair. And so Jesus begins chapter 14, and I'm, I'm not going to read all of that chapter this morning. I invite you to, if you want to hit pause and read it quick before I continue in the teaching, go for it, go for it. Um, But I'm just gonna move right through the teaching. Jesus begins a chapter with this exhortation. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe, or as we've talked about before, that, that verb can mean faith or trust. Believe, faith, trust in God, believe in me. When all seems lost, trust and be encouraged. And this isn't merely some sympathetic remark. Jesus isn't just sentimentalizing their sadness that he's leaving, but he recognizes there's something deep that's going to be happening in them. This is an empathetic and a prophetic statement by Jesus. And all of what follows in chapter 14 is the promise Jesus gives And it's not just some simple response to sadness, to fear, or anxiety. He is addressing it deeply. Jesus himself has been troubled. In chapter 11, verse 33, in 12, 27, and in 13, 21, we have these verses that tell us that Jesus, too, is being troubled. He is troubled by the power of evil, sin, and death, And the toll that it takes on God's beautiful creation. He knows this is troubling. And so Jesus' exhortation here isn't a command saying that being troubled is somehow sinful. It's an encouragement. He's empathizing with them and prophesying to them. Do not be afraid. Do not let your heart be troubled. Because he knows that troubling things happen. Things in this world are troubling, but it is an exhortation not to succumb to this fear, not to be overcome by anxiety or despair, but to trust and believe. And what is it that we are trusting and believing? Why are we trusting and believing? And here Jesus makes a a very interesting move. He moves into promise. He moves into promise, which is really important for the disciples. It's really important for us. And what's really interesting is he actually uses the language of the common betrothal or marriage covenant practices of the time. Jesus turns this dinner, this Passover meal that he's sharing with his disciples, where he's just washed their feet. Now he turns it into an engagement party, a first century engagement party. In in the first century and in, in the days of Jesus, uh, there was this meal that they came together and there was an agreement of the bride price. And they had this covenant meal where the groom and the bride would drink wine together. And the engaged man, the groom-to-be tells his bride-to-be, I'm going to my father's house to prepare a place. I will come back for you. Because the groom, the, the engaged man, was literally going back home to build an addition on his dad's house. And when it's ready and his dad says so, which is typically about a year or so later, the bro- the groom will return with his groomsmen to get his wife and her bridal party, and they will go back to their new place and have the wedding celebration. So why does it Jesus use this language? Why is he using this custom I'm not exactly sure, but I think it's deeply, deeply relational. It's deeply covenantal. He wants to relate the intimacy of the relationship that he has with his disciples, the love of that relationship and the promise of that relationship. His departure from them has a guaranteed return and they would understand this if they knew what he was doing by saying he's going to the Father's house to prepare a place, they would know, yes, that means you're coming back. And when you come back, there's going to be an awesome celebration. But he also wants to let them know that his going is purposeful. His death, his resurrection and ascension is a way of preparing the place for them with the Father. Because it's not just a physical space. It's not a geographical space. It is a relational space. What Jesus is about to go through is the way in which reconciliation is made possible. The way in which relationship with the father is made possible through Jesus' obedience to the father, through his pouring out of his own life, through his death, through his resurrection, and through his ascension, he is preparing a dwelling place, which is derived from the, the verb we use throughout. That John uses throughout his gospel for remain, abide, dwell. So Jesus isn't just talking about a physical space, but about a place of mutual and reciprocal relationship with the father made possible through his death and resurrection, and through his ascension. As Galo O'Day writes, my return to God will make it possible for you to join the relationship that the Father and I share. Jesus is offering a place, a share in his relationship with God. And this is John's vision of the kingdom of God. It is communion with God, dwelling together with God in abundant life. And Jesus wants them to know that that his hour is making a way. A place for them with the father that they might enjoy the type of relationship that he has with God. A marriage that will last for all eternity. And he will come back just as the bridegroom returns for his bride. So though things are going to look very bleak from the disciples perspective, Jesus wants them to know that they are purposeful. And no matter what happens, they are still engaged. They are still betrothed to him. As long as they choose, there's always choice in that invitation, in that marriage invitation. And the choice is there for us today. So some of us need to say yes to that invitation for the first time. Yes to Jesus' invitation to a dwelling place with the Father. Jesus' invitation to the way, the truth, and the life. And some of us need to renew our vows this morning or today, whenever it is you're listening to this. Some of us need to renew our vows to remember who Jesus is and who he is calling us to be. Some of us just need to be encouraged that Jesus is coming back and he has not abandoned us. And next, Jesus moves into this, this beautiful, beautiful and profound statement. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father, but through me. And this isn't meant to be some exclusive club. This is just a profound invitation that Jesus is declaring. He is both the access to and the embodiment of life with God. He is the way. He is the way of life. He is access to the father. He is the truth. He is the reality behind all reality. He is the truth behind our very existence. He is the meaning of life, and He is the life. He offers us a life that is not just physical, but is spiritual, the only life that comes from God, life that comes only from God. We can't obtain it. We can work on our physical health, we can work on our mental health, our emotional health, but this life only comes from the giver. Of life. And Jesus declares that he is the self existent one, the I am who is the giver of life. And so, this engagement that is taking place, in, in those days, it was actually just like a marriage. This isn't like today where we have these uh, rom com statements that, well, engaged ain't married. No, in those days, it was basically the same thing. It was a much deeper commitment than what we have today. They had already made the covenant. It wasn't just a handshake to later make a covenant. Once they've said yes, the covenant is already done. And so they have this identity already, even while they wait for the bridegroom, they have become engaged to the way, the truth and the life. And when we receive that invitation from God, we are making that covenant with him too. We are making that covenant with Jesus. And so we already have that identity. And so next, Jesus gives them the family business. The family identity to do while he is away. To practice this marriage relationship. Verses 9 through 14, Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these. Because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the father may be glorified in the son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So Jesus gives them his works to do. What are these works? Well, these are the works that Jesus does, the works that reveal God in the world. The works that reveal the truth, the works that reveal life, the works that make known the character and power of God, and the works that produce belief, faith, and trust in Jesus. And so we're invited into that. And Jesus says, we'll do greater works than than he. And I'm not sure exactly what that means. Uh, I think it means that his works will happen throughout the world and will engage people, make known uh, Jesus throughout the world. So we lift him up. And certainly I think there's opportunities for us to do works that are similar to what Jesus did. Miraculous works that draw attention to who God is and what God wants to do. They are works of tangible love. When we faith in Jesus, we do works that produce faith in Jesus within others. Jesus was showing forth the fullness of his love for God and the fullness of God's love for the world. And so as disciples, after Jesus' hour, our works become greater because they reveal the completed story of the word made flesh and hence the fullness of God's love. It is a continuation of the glorification of God through Jesus. They are works that spring from our love of God and Jesus. There are works that continue that love that is the heart, at the heart of Jesus' own works. And then Jesus talks about prayer. And, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I have a hard time with these verses. They're hard because I've asked for things, the things that I haven't seen answered. I'm sure most of us have experienced this, praying persistently for things and not seeing them answered the way we thought. Jesus said, I will give you whatever you ask for. And so I'd be lying if I said there was an easy answer to this, to our unanswered prayers, our seemingly unanswered prayers. Jesus, you said we'd get anything we ask for if we ask in your name. But I do think we also have to recognize that God is not just uh, some celestial vending machine with Jesus name being the buttons that we push to get, whatever it is we want. But in what Jesus is telling his disciples here, we see this exhortation to continue to ask boldly, to continue to ask boldly. And I also see two other things happening in this passage. He says in my name, And that means that we're asking in alignment with the heart, with the character, with the will of Jesus. We are asking uh, in accordance with who he is and the work he is accomplishing, not just our own desires and wishes, but in alignment with the heart and will of Jesus. And the second thing is that Jesus says, he's answering these prayers for God's glory. So how is God glorified in the answer to our prayer? How is God's love, power, goodness, and character revealed in the answers to our prayer? Uh, Back in January, Doug and I uh, were at the Ecclesia National Gathering and um, Scott McKnight did a, a teaching on prayer and he was talking about the colics, these prayers that are Uh, used especially in the Episcopal church and other churches find them in the common book of prayer, Uh, but they are written out prayers. and, And he was just talking about the form of these prayers. And he said, they begin with an address to God directly communicating with God. And then there's this reminder, there's a reminder of who God is and what God has done, how God has acted in history that leads to the ask. What is it that you want? What is it that we are asking God for? And the reminder, what God has done and who God is is directly related to what we're asking for. And then it closes with a promise, so that. And the question here is what will happen if God answers this prayer? This isn't a promise like, well, God, if you give me a Ferrari, I promise to drive a few homeless people to the the, um, food pantry. No, this is a promise that deeply considers what will happen if God answers this prayer. If God gives me what I am asking for, how will God be glorified? And I have to confess that I so infrequently reflect on the results of my answered prayers that I I often just come with this list of asks without thinking, what is it? that God is after? What is it that God could accomplish through these prayers? And so I think this is just a really helpful process. It has been a helpful process for me to slow down and to reflect on what I'm asking. And through that, I believe that God is at work shaping us so that our asks, the things that we ask for are in alignment with the heart and character of God. And it begins to open up our vision to how God could be glorified through us and through the answers to our prayers. And then in, in verses 15 through 24, Jesus talks about love. And he talks about the paraclete and he talks about orphans. He's continuing to reassure and he's continuing to promise his disciples. He's given them work to do and he promises that they will not be alone. And in this, Jesus is teaching them that love for Jesus and obedience to him is inseparable. God's abiding and indwelling presence will continue with those who love him and they become the the foundation and the result of the community's love is God's present. God is present when we love one another in the name of Jesus. And he offers the paraclete and and this word has a lot of different meanings in English. And if we just choose one, then we miss out on the fullness of all of them. Uh, It's The paraclete is the exhorter, the comforter, the counselor, the helper, the advocate, the encourager, the reminderer, the revealer. All of this functional language shows us that the Holy Spirit is continuing the work of Jesus. Jesus is the truth and the spirit is the spirit of truth. And so the Holy Spirit continues to keep the truth of Jesus real and present to us, reminding us of the things that Jesus said, reminding us of who he is, reminding us of what Jesus commanded us to do and giving us the power to obey. And he uses this language of orphan. I will not leave you as orphans because you'll have the paraclete. And I will come back for you. And this this orphan was a common metaphor for disciples who who were left without their master. Uh, But it's even more poignant within the scope of John because of the familial language that Jesus uses. Jesus promises, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm not abandoning you. And, and, And many of us need to be reminded of that. Jesus has not abandoned us. He has given us the spirit to move in us in power. We are not alone. And the spirit empowers us to love one another just as Jesus has loved us. And this love is expressed in very tangible and practical and public ways. It's, it's not just uh, cherishing the memory of Jesus. And it's not just uh, remembering our private experiences of him, but it is by doing the works of Jesus, abiding by his commandments. Jesus lived out God's love in very practical and tangible ways to make, God's, make God known. The love of God and Jesus was a public love. And for us, as followers of Jesus, we are commanded to live publicly, to love publicly, because love can only be expressed, can only be practiced in relationship. And so I think as Jesus is teaching his disciples here, he's giving them this command of love, and he's exhorting them do not Let your heart be troubled. Do not be afraid. I give you peace. I give you this love command. He's he's giving the antidotes to anxiety, to fear, to despair. Because what he's about to demonstrate is the power of God's love over the evil one. Jesus is about to be crucified He says, the ruler of this world approaches, the ruler of this world who embodies everything that is opposed to God, the embodiment of evil, sin and death. And Jesus says, he has no power over me. Brothers and sisters, when we follow in the way of Jesus, all of these troubling things have no power over us. We combat anxiety and fear and despair by loving practically. They are the means by which reconciliation happens. They are the means by which justice happens. They are the way by which God is made known to us and through us. And so Jesus closes out, John closes out this chapter with the words of Jesus saying, let's be on our way. And this is kind of um, confusing because then Jesus keeps on talking and it doesn't appear that they actually go anywhere. But it could be again that Jesus is not using let's be on our way in terms of a spatial or geographical meaning, but perhaps relational. Perhaps he's reminding them, yes, let's be on our way to the Father. Jesus is taking his disciples on the way to their place and home with God. The disciples home in full relationship with God beckons, and there may be troubling things along the way. The ruler of this world will approach, but Jesus is the way and he has overcome the world. And so this discourse that Jesus is giving them as he's saying goodbye to them addresses the disciples' very real fears, anxieties, and despair, but not with simplistic offers of comfort and assurance, but in the revelation of God's power and love. And the power of God's love enacted through us. The place Jesus is preparing is the ongoing presence and communal indwelling of God. When we love one another and obey his commands, God's spirit dwells within us and his power flows through us and we triumph as Jesus Jesus triumphs. So we combat fear, anxiety, and despair by practicing the ways of Jesus, by practically serving others, by seeking to heal others, to be healers and to be healed ourselves through small acts, through courageous acts, through big acts, through miraculous acts of love and obedience to God, because God cannot be defeated. And so we may be experiencing troubled times, but we are engaged to the Prince of Peace. We are engaged to the King of Love. We are engaged to the way, the truth, the life. And so brothers and sisters, let's be on our way in and to the Father's house. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Renew Community. This in no way should replace the formation within a community of Jesus followers. If you are looking for a church, would like more information about Renew, or would like to give financially to this ministry, check out our website at renewcommunity.org.